Welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people that do amazing things. And today I have Masuma Khan. <laughs> so let's pause first. What, like you do? You so you're an activist, you're a poet, you're a rapper, you write music. Yeah. What are you currently working on now? Let's start with that. In in all of those things. <laughs> yeah, so let's go with that. Yeah, why not? Well, I think in organizing, um, uh, you know, I do a lot of work with the Stop Alton Gas movement. So a lot of work supporting the um, the water protectors, the grassroots grandmothers, the grandmothers that are there protecting the water on the Shubenacadie River. Um, so that's part of my work. I also work with uh, Abolish the Police Jabuktuk, which is like a, an, a group, a collective of like folks from across uh, the city that are all working to abolish the police in, in Halifax. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do work like that. I help out in any way if anyone needs anything during organizing. You know, I have a little bit of experience, so I tend to, you know, help out where I can. But in terms of art, um, I just got a, a artist in residency with CFAT. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So the Center for Arts and Taping, um, and they're gonna help me basically support me in making my first uh, musical album a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's gonna be called The Wrath of Khan, oh. uh, <laughs> which is just uh, yeah. I think uh, for me uh, it was important. I have a lot of anger and feelings, but also most of my uh, you know there's also happy moments but also a lot of my rap focuses on like um themes of colonialism racism uh you know islamophobia that sort of stuff basically tying together my art practice and my work practice in a means of you know uh fueling myself because Mm. I think it's hard to do this work without also giving yourself something back Mm -hmm. and for me art is that way to give myself that balance so that I can still be you know uh filling up my cup while giving others Mm. you know what I mean wow yeah and um I guess what was the process applying for the residency yeah so I mean I applied uh I found out about it I applied I gave my resume I did like a little interview and then um yeah i waited to hear back and then i i found out that they they took me and i was like really shocked but i guess it was because like i have i've been finding a lot of barriers in accessing music spaces for me like there's not many like muslim visibly muslim like hijabi rappers in the city or even in canada if you want to call it that or even in north america i know of like two others maybe three uh, but like there's not many and and for me too for like an afghan who's like in the diaspora to be like part of that um yeah it's it's really nice and beautiful but it's also you know a little scary but exciting <laughs> exciting of course I, I think i'll go with exciting yeah um do you have any idea how many songs you'll have on the album i think it's gonna be between eight or nine. Oh yeah 
That's a lot of songs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I don't have anything out. So if I'm going to put something out, I have yeah. to give people some material and then, you know, mm. start. And I have another project that I'm working on. It's called Fob Ties. <laughs> what was that about? It's about uh, basically being like the child of immigrants uh, in the city. I'm working on it with another rapper who's uh, Lebanese. His name's mm. Paulo. Um, and he has a different experience than me. And I have a different experience, too. But the other day we were working on this song called corner stores pizza shops and restaurants <laughs> which just like the goes is, uh, yeah, yeah you know like, like that's usually, part of our life yeah. um that hustle that grind that you know my parents work so hard uh all the time like i remember being a kid my dad wouldn't come home till late late at night from working so hard and trying to put that food on the table so i think that that's where it comes from but also like post 9 11 my family was getting a lot of crap for 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 like owning a store and like people used to come into our corner store and say like are you housing osama but this is in canada right oh yeah it's right in spryfield Mm -hmm. i mean like i was born and raised here in in jabuktuk in halifax and um, my my mom's family came here in the 70s. So, like, we've been around for a little while. But I think at the same time, um, when people see Muslims, they automatically assume that they, like, can't speak English. They've, they're, like, just came here. And, like, that's true. There are a lot of migrants that are coming into the city. Mm-hmm. But there are also people who have been born and raised here and, and have a connection to this land in other ways. So, uh, you know, like, my great-great-grandmother is buried here. My grandparents are buried here. I'm tied here. This is home mm-hmm. for me in the ways that my own home can't be right now so that's that's kind of where i'm at in that so yeah i'm excited to work on that i don't know when that's gonna come out but we're just starting that but i'm excited for something like that you yeah, know I mean, bob ties is fresh off the boat ties oh, right so it's like the ties that that the children of immigrants have and also immigrants have because back in the day all these immigrants knew each other because mm. there were like they had no no choice but to interact with each other because there's only a few of them right yeah. So that's the kind of community we're talking about, yeah. I know Paulo. I I love his music. He's like body positive. <laughs> it's rad. It's really cool. So how did that? Um, how did you guys decide on making this album together? Well, I think um, one day we were sitting behind Alter Egos and we we're talking Where about everything music. happens. Everything happens at Alter Egos. <laughs> if you don't know Alter Egos, you should go support Alter Egos, the best cafe in the city, best Americano in the city, best place, best staff, everything. I love that place. Mm-hmm. Um, follow Alter Egos, but also, yeah, where everything happens. So we were sitting there and we we're talking about, like, you know, it would be so funny to, like, write a song about like being the children of immigrants or something like that like what would you rap about like you know and then it kind of uh turned into an idea and then for like about a year we've been like we need to do this we need to do this we need to do this but we're both working on separate projects so Mm. it's finally come where we're like yeah we have time to so i'm excited to do that Mm -hmm. uh when Mm. when the time's right it's just going to be a little ep but who knows there might be a fob ties too you never know right 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 um so um, a couple of weeks ago, there was the healing gathering for mm-hmm. Kayla. Kayla Do you Borden. want to talk a, yeah, a bit about that? Yeah, Kayla Borden is a very important community member. Uh, she's African, Nova Scotian, and Jamaican. Um, she does amazing work for music people. She's actually someone who inspired me and motivated me to get to like be like yes go follow that music like you you have a rhythm go do that and mm-hmm. she encourages so many people like she's honestly the sweetest human i've ever met mm-hmm. and i love her she's my sister and um 
about a, a month and a week ago, uh, so almost a month and a half, she got stopped and profiled by six police officers at one o'clock in the morning, leaving her cousin's house and going home. And uh, they stopped her. They arrested her. They didn't tell her why. Um, they took her information. They cuffed her. She was so scared. You know, they had their hands, you know, like they're they're equipped for anything. And you see what's going on. Like police are out here to kill racialized people, specifically black folks. Like we know that. Um, and so when that happened, she took it public and she was talking about what what happened to her and so her friend sam reed was like we need to do something about this and i reached out to kayla I was like fam what are you doing about this how can i support so i was just a support person to sam um and i told i told sam that i was her her robin and she was batman in the situation <laughs> and organizing right and she said no 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 we're both batman um but we we came together to organize an event for kayla that kayla wanted right because it's not often that we're blessed in a situation where the black person still is here. Mm. Uh, and so if that's the case and Kayla's here, alhamdulillah, then we need to center Kayla and what she wants in this event. Because it's not like we're just going to go and be like, oh, yeah, let's do a rally, let's do a sit-in. She said, I want healing. We need healing. So we had a portion of um, talks and speeches and poetry and people who said their love for Kayla. And then we had... Uh, uh, an hour devoted to healing so we had people doing reiki heart resonance tarot and stone healing um, and some musical therapy and just like other like just people coming together and talking so she was really happy with it and it felt good and I saw like families getting like reiki done together and that was really beautiful so I was happy to do that for Kayla of course um but that's just like an average Friday, you know, <laughs> just like, you know, so much planning and, you know, meeting and doing this and touching base. And, you know, it's just it's a lot, but it's worth it. You know, when you when you have the final product and people feel good and they're happy. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be there. It was a really, really special event. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to ask you something a little bit difficult. Okay. Uh, <laughs> just a, Nonchalantly. Just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, you mentioned about police really, you know, murdering black people. Yeah. And this has been happening for years and years and years. Oh, yeah. Why would you say, I guess, like, what happened with George Floyd set up this what's happening now? What, what about that incident led to kind of how... It, pretty much the whole world is reacting to it, to it now. Yeah, I think... Um, a few things. Uh, it's important for me to say, like, as a non-black person, my space in this conversa conversation looks different. Mm -hmm. um, but from what I've been hearing from black community members and also what I've been seeing is that, unfortunately, it takes um, watching a black man die in real time for people to feel anything towards black lives. And even that, it's like a facade. It's like this very, it became this very, uh, oh, yes, we're, we're part of the movement. Black Lives Matter, but these people are still racist, right? They don't understand why the police need to go. They don't want, they don't understand what's happening. They don't understand that it's systemic. They're saying, oh, not all the bad apples, but we believe Black Lives Matter, but 
you know it's just like what's happening in pei with uh javan right right now javan i think um if that's how you say his name he's been it like they incarcerated him essentially for not uh following covid measures when the brother just stepped out of his house to have some fresh air while he was self-isolating and he's a he's a black international student they didn't speak to him in his language yet they put him in prison for longer than the 14-day isolation um and so we're we're seeing but people are saying but he didn't follow the rules if he just listened and this is the thing is like you you can't be part of this conversation if you're going to say black lives matter but black lives matter if black like no it's black lives matter no buts no ifs that's just it right mm -hmm. um and for me i think it's just it's unfortunately social media has made our generation and a lot of people um kind of just like jump on things for clout and it's kind of cool to be an activist so you called me an activist but i don't call myself that mm. i call myself a community organizer because i've seen the ways in which people hold on to that title of activist and like wear it as a badge but if you're doing that kind of work you don't believe in this class system where you're higher than the other for mm. me i'm out here learning just like you i'm a community member right i'm here organizing community and supporting that that's it mm. it doesn't make me better i'm not higher or above i'm i'm just like anyone else i bleed too i have hard days but also it allows you to to talk to these people and not put them up on a pedestal because there's not i'm not perfect mm. right to expect that people never make mistakes or mistakes or are never oppressive are really um unfortunate kind of bubbles to put people in because that's not how it works we know that our lives are intersectional nothing is just linear things are things are everywhere right mm -hmm. and so for me it's really important to, you gotta humble yourself in that and it's like no i'm not just some big activist you see <laughs> um i'm 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 just i'm just me right i'm a community member who cares and if i ground myself in that way mm. i won't get lifted up into that weird social media clout thing because then you're just going to be organizing for clout i that's the worst kind of organizing you can do. You don't organize for that. You organize for community. You organize for change. You organize for those things, not for, um, yeah, not for that. So that's what I saw in that, right? Because, you know, all these white people are like, oh, crap, we didn't know this many black people were dying. Now we got to show up every Tuesday. Well, like, <laughs> why are you mad about it? Why are you mad? Where were you before? This isn't new. Emmett Till happened. Mm. And that woman who accused him of that in her death, in her death, said that actually she made it up. You like... And they, they, they brutally killed that innocent black boy. Mm. And that's the kind of thing that stays with you. They have, like, the black community still hasn't, like, you know, healed from Emmett Till. They still haven't healed from being displaced during slavery. They still haven't healed from the education system, the class system, all these things. We're still in the middle fighting for civil rights. And I think a lot of people think that that ended with Dr. King or Malcolm X or, you know, Angela Davis did her thing. And then, you know, that was it. Racism stopped. Like in the 90s, everyone was like, unity, 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 unity. I and mean, in the early... I black president. Right? But like, at the same time, did he stop police? Were there not black people dying? You know, there were things happening still. And so, like, to also think that just because you have a black president that all these issues are going to go away for black people, mm. you're you're dehumanizing them even farther because you're not even understanding that 
you didn't believe them when they said the system was that messed up mm. that you think just a black president's going to fix it? <laughs> Do you not understand how complicated and complex those issues are? They go down to the root of our family nuclei, the things that we tell our children, mm. the ways that we raise them, the ways that we are in community with one another, right? So, yeah, I think that's what I see in it. I'm I'm pissed off. <laughs> um and you know, I think one of the things that really stood out for me is you would think with COVID, with everyone mm-hmm. sitting at home watching TV, being online and stuff. Right. And the police saying that they're like kind of the spotlight is on them, they'd be more reasonable. Right. But it seems like it's the reverse. Like, you know, like it's more blatant. It's the same thing that happened when Trump was elected. Right. The the like alt right became more out here and being like, I don't have to be nice to you. Mm. You speak English in this country. You know, like they they came out in full force because they were emboldened by it. And you have these like militia in the states. And don't think that we don't have them here. Don't think that there's not white people in in scotia or new brunswick or any province that aren't willing to go to bat for the police too right Mm -hmm. so you know we we're seeing this in the states where these militia these white militia that are like you know essentially like neo-nazis um backing the police and they're protected that white kid literally killed two people Mm -hmm. injured another shot off someone's arm and the police were giving him water and all that stuff. They let him pass. Yeah, how how can you... I drove uh, straight to the protest. White kids like, can get away with anything, mm-hmm. Israel. And for me, it makes me scared. Because it's now now is the time that we have these white children growing up. They need to learn about racism. Mm. It's not just our kids that need to learn. They need to learn. They have a big a big challenge ahead of them and we need to start that process now Mm. and i'm not saying that we as racialized people you know a lot of people like it's not our labor blah 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 for me i really don't care at this point because i need these kids to know Mm. i need them to know so that it doesn't continue because if i'd rather us just freaking educate them because i i can't we can't take more generations of this we can't we need to get rid of the police we need to invest in communities we need to invest in mental health we need to invest in community dialogues where we can have these conversations the school system needs to be teaching about racism from primary to grade 12 just like they should be teaching about consent from primary to grade 12 but they don't right Mm. these are important pieces and we're failing our children when we put them in these systems, in these public school systems, and they're still not getting that basic education to learn mm-hmm. how to treat everyone else with basic humanity and dignity, right? Yeah. Um, you mentioned about defunding the police in simple terms, right? For Because there are people that, what do you even mean? But like in simple terms as possible, what does that mean to you? I think... Um, defunding is one conversation but i think the end goal it's like a short-term goal let's defund the police so that we can abolish them in my in my opinion and i'm gonna say use i words because i want people to know that's me Mm -hmm. um so the first step in defunding the police is they have like million dollar budgets that are going to these people um where we have a housing crisis we have uh uh a like a crisis in our community where we don't have mental health services. Mm. We have a health crisis, right? A lot of um, the things that police, like let's say police are are the people that deal with uh, cases of sexualized violence. 
I've worked in sexualized violence work, and I've never once seen a police officer deal with it properly. Oh. Not once. They should, they should not be the ones dealing with that. So what we're saying is pull that money, take away those things, tell them in, in, in cases of mental health crises, let's, let's say if it's a black community member, which we've been seeing, when black community members are in, in crises, they kill them. Mm. When brown community members are in crises, they kill them. That's what they did to Ijaz Chaudhry in the Peel District in, in Toronto area, right? So we see this happening. They do not need to be the people there. So let's say take the money from there and let's invest in social services. Let's invest in those mental health services for actual people who know how to de-escalate situations. Mm. Not people who are have their hands on their guns or tasers. Yeah. Right? We're, I mean, like... What are we paying for if we're paying police to literally kill schizophrenic people? Mm. I don't understand how that is ethical. I don't understand. So what we're saying is take away that money mm. and lessen the reins, right? And then let's talk about how else they're not doing our communities justice, right? Mm -hmm. And at the 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 reality is the end goal for me at least is to abolish the police because police anywhere Anywhere in the world globally, I think we have a policing issue. If you look at like Kashmir, if you look at what's happening in other states uh, who use a lot of military and force, we see a lot of genocide and oppression. So there is an issue in the ways that people are policing people. And this stems from colonialism. Mm. This stems from those roots because we're taught back home, you need to be civilized. You need to have your police force. You need to have your military. You need to have that. When we had different different systems, right? There was no doubt if you're going to mess with one of us, oh yeah, we'd go to war with you. <laughs> but we had a decorum, you know? We had a way about it. We're not going to go that far. We're going to try come together. At least in my in my tribe, um, Pashtuns like you know they they might have their issues with one another and they go to bat with one another and then they try reconcile. And if they don't feel that they can, they go to bat again and then they come back and they try reconcile. But mm -hmm. that's the thing that I'm saying is that even that that point where people try reconcile, you don't have like a state police officer on top trying to force stuff and and create more issues i think that globally this policing system is reinforcing this system of white supremacy mm. is reinforcing these systems of oppression and we see that the ways that you know in 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 you know previously colonized places that it just it just ruins us it ruins us further it takes us farther away um and I don't think that we need to rely on those systems. Um, I think a chant that we say is we don't need cops. We need one another. Um, that was one of the chants we did for Ijaz. Um, justice for Ijaz. Justice for our brother. We don't need cops. We need one another. And yeah, I, we don't need cops. In my experience, even in situations where the cops were supposed to protect me um, from harassment, I didn't feel protected. Uh, I didn't have any kind of support in the ways that I needed. I only found that support through community. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's hard to rely on this system that's just going to continue more oppression. Um, so, yeah, that's what it means to me. I'm mm. sorry if that was a long no, no, no. answer. <laughs> no, no, that was great. So, uh, Masua Khan, you do all these things and you're not an activist, community organizer, <laughs> but, um, you, you know, you, you've been doing all these things pretty much all your life, but kind of when you, the highlight was the thing with Dal. 
yeah, I think that was me <laughs> finding my voice in a way, I think. I think uh, not many people know this about me, but I was a very shy human. Oh, wow. Up until university, I had the hardest time talking in front of crowds, talking in front of people. What Felt happened? Very, I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. I got, I got, I got pissed off. <laughs> I got pissed off because, you know, a teacher at Dow, I was asking a question. It was my first year, and I was asking a question, and... The professor asked me where I learned English. What the fuck? Yeah, and that's I started getting pissed off. So I was like, "Oh, so wait, what the fuck?" Yeah, so for me, it's it, and that's the kind of thing too. Is like you know that 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 feeling of inferiority or that you're less than or unworthy really hit me hard and is part of why I didn't excel in biology when I first went to Dell. It was just a very very white sciencey field and I I guess the prof thought that I was an international student. Mm. Um either way, uh later that year I remember um I had a student we were in a big hall and someone had spat on my hijab and I didn't know this until I went to the bathroom. What the fuck? And I touched my hijab and there was like a spitball. Mm. And I didn't I didn't have a hijab on me, so I had to go all the way. And I was living with my dad at the time, so I had to go all the way back to where he lives, like, 30 minutes away from the city, and then come back. Um, and that hurt me. Um, and so then I started getting more involved. I became the president of the Muslim Student Association, started doing events like, um, I'm a Muslim, I'm not a terrorist, like, that. those kinds of events to start to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I ran for student student government and i and i lost the first time uh because i actually didn't want to run there was just a a racialized community member being like run 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 and i'm like (laughs) okay you know i'm running i'm running but you know it wasn't my time yeah Uh, so then i was still that was back in the day when i was rolling burritos at burrito jacks i was the assistant manager there for a minute um that place was terrible they also asked me uh where I learned to speak English so well on my job interview. Why is that? Like, why is that even a thing? On my job interview, and I like informed them that I had been speaking English my whole life, and they were just shocked, right? But I took the job because I was desperate and I needed to pay for school. Mm-hmm. So, I after I lost that election, I um I started working the equity office in the DSU, and I started getting more involved. And then I ran that year, and I ran for vice president equity. Uh, vice president academic and external um and that year i also it was like the the election was in march and in february i had my first spinal surgery or my second spinal surgery so for me i was coming into this election like hurt i'm i'm a disabled person i don't look physically disabled but i am um it's invisible so a lot of people have a hard time with that but whatever i'm mm-hmm. not gonna i don't care i don't need to show people the staples on my backs i've i've done enough people are freaking wild <laughs> um <laughs> that's that's as, ni- that's as that's nice as i'm gonna be yeah. uh, <laughs> but um so i ran for that and i thought it was pretty open about what my what my office was gonna be like you know i ran for like equity talking about like you know anti-racism stuff um and i go in and Canada 150 is like approaching, right? Mm-hmm. I my start my first day in term was May 1st, first day in office, right? 
So Canada 150 is approaching and in the city we're having conversations about Cornwallis, mm. right? And I'm like, whoa, these things are happening. What are we doing, right? And so um, I contacted um, DISC, which was the Dalhousie International, uh, not Dalhousie Indigenous Student Collective, I think, yeah. And um, I contacted Aaron Prosper, who's a Mi'kmaq student. He was the previous president. It was the summertime, so there was like a shift, and he met with me um, and another student, and I w- just drafted a little motion that was like, we're not going to participate. Mm. Um very basic motion just saying our our union was closed anyway right on canada day it's not open so i just said we're not going to participate we're not going to give money to events um we're not going to like host any events relating to canada day canada 150 and uh i just thought that to be honest my intention was just to bring it to the table to have a discussion Mm -hmm. because i knew it wasn't going to pass Cause like I don't I don't know I didn't even know the rules right right I didn't even bring a notice of motion I just brought the motion I didn't know no Roberts rules Bobby's rules I don't care about no Robert <laughs> you know the only Robert I care about is the Robert on Gottagen that's it Bobby <laughs> on Gottagen but no other Robert no Roberts rules um but I brought the motion forward and the people at the table I I faced a lot of ridicule and one council member said well if, if you don't like canada just uh uh give away your citizenship and your your rights to the charter what the fuck? i was like it, okay cool like you know they obviously saw me as like this immigrant who wasn't thankful for what canada had given her canada hasn't given me crap all all canada has given me is crap right canada has been complicit in so much genocide and and violence towards afghans and indigenous people and like globally so for me i'm not indebted to canada i'm indebted to Mi'kmaq people Mm -hmm. and that's where my allegiance lies i might have a citizenship a passport whatever but i don't see myself as a canadian i used to i used to view myself that way but i don't anymore um and so i brought that forward it was a big kerfuffle. It passed. It passed. It passed. But it was incorrectly passed because I didn't give notice. So it came back to the next council meeting. And then I got shot on even more. And then someone changed the motion uh, and it got more intense. And there was more things added. And it, I didn't vote for that second motion. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one passed. Again. Again. <laughs> it passed. Right. And so then, you know, after the first time it went to the 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 board to the council, that's when I had seen like the the like young progressive conservatives of like Dalhousie or something wrote shame on shame on the DSU for not instilling Canadian pride into Dalhousians. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. And uh, they, I saw that post and I said, whoa, like fuck that mm-hmm. <laughs> so i wrote a post and i said fuck you all <laughs> uh i i have i uh, celebrate canada for what 400 years of genocide uh, you know indigenous people having 172 indigenous communities with no access to clean drinking water 
Um, we have, you know, people stolen, residential schools, ongoing impacts, loss of culture, loss of language. What am I celebrating here? Mm. And then I, I signed it off with hashtag white fragility can kiss my ass and hashtag uh, you, white tears aren't sacred. This land is. Mm. And I was frustrated because of the type of white fragility I was faced to just bringing this motion to the table because I was sold this image of my union as an anti-racist, anti-oppressive union that was out here. And here's here's me believing it. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, Acting yeah. the way that I was sold this image of my union. Mm. And so um, when I wrote that post, that's when <laughs> that's when all hell broke loose <laughs> because someone in my friends said, can you can you make this public? I want to share it. And I did. And then the white students came for me. Yo. They wow. uh, one student specifically, his name was Michael Smith. He wasn't even a Dalhousie student at the time. He had just graduated with his master's yeah. and he put in a complaint and said that I had violated the student code of conduct. And on top of that, he wrote an article about me in the National Post, also fuck the National Post, um, saying that I was basically an ungrateful immigrant. What? And um, for me, like, in, in basically at the end of his article, he's like, Masuma as an immigrant should be more thankful to Canada. And just like all these, the most like ridiculous things that for me are like very overtly racist, mm -hmm. which are not racist to the average white person mm -hmm. just saying this shit. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I saw that and then I started getting death threats. Then I started getting people calling me after he put out that article on July 10th. Um, and... I remember these dates, mm -hmm. July 10th, uh, July 13th, the administration came to me, Arig Al-Sheba, who was the only racialized woman in the administration. Mm -hmm. And she came to me and guilt tripped me. She told me, Masuma, um, don't you think your mother would be embarrassed if she read your status? Because she was also, she came from a Muslim background. She mm. wasn't practicing. But they took someone who, who would have put me in my place. I said, oh, I didn't know my post was that harmful. I can take it down. It's no issue. I did. I wish I didn't, but I did. Mm -hmm. And then later I found out that I had a bunch of complaints towards me. And that um, they had like at least like maybe six to ten complaints about me violating the student code of conduct hmm. and that meant that i had to go to the senate discipline committee oh wow and i was actually a member of the senate discipline committee because oh, of my role oh, in boy. the student union mm -hmm. so they took me off of that committee from july until basically like december which was unfair because it was part of my duties and most of that committee was white <laughs> i was the yeah. Okay. I don't want to ruin the audio. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. okay. Um. Yeah. So, what was I part saying? Part of the Senate. Yeah, I was part of the Senate. So they were doing that, and um, 
basically i was like frig i need to get a lawyer because <laughs> like the school's taking me to task right because mm-hmm. they're 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 disciplining me based off of a personal facebook mm. it wasn't something i wrote from my office but it was me i was elected by students if students want to take me out cool they can impeach me which they tried Right. This is interesting. Yeah. Like, all these things didn't come out in the report. I, they tried to impeach me twice. Wow. Um, both times it didn't work. But um, so that happened and I got hold of a lawyer. Um, I was also overseeing this service called DSAS, the Dahazi Student Advocacy Service, where our law students from the Dow Law School volunteer and help students navigate like discipline and academic integrity. And I went to them and I said... They're trying to discipline me for calling out racism. Mm. What kind of situation am I in? How am I? And they said, Masuma, we cannot help you with this. What? We are not skilled to help you with this. You need a lawyer. So mm-hmm. they connected me to a lawyer. Luckily, she took me on pro bono, uh, Nasha Najawan. And she had taken Dal to um, task before around Dal dentistry. And oh, she was yeah. representing one that of the survivors. One. Yeah. So I was like Dow second Dow dentistry for them. They were like, oh, no, this is like the anti-racism version of consent. Mm. Uh, anyways, um, so uh, we met with the, I had a meeting with the admin and I got Nasha. Like we met that morning and then I was going to the meeting with the admin and they were going to tell me what was going on. And they didn't know I was bringing the lawyer with me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't know I was ringing a lawyer with me, so how could they know, right? Also, whatever. So I went, and you know that she was very upset that I brought a lawyer, and and when my lawyer said, "Well, you know, you're saying that Masuma's statement has had such a big impact, but have you not seen how Michael Smith's statement and his, you know, publication uh, in the National Post has literally threatened her life. Like, I was having emails of people telling me to sleep with one eye open, uh, people telling me how to, jet, uh, like, how to mutilate my body. Oh, wow. Um, um, like, female genital mutilation, like, telling me to do that to myself. Um, people telling me that they were going to rape me or <sighs> use my brown tears as lube. Like, wild things and it's not easy for me to say this Mm -hmm. but like that was my reality i worried about myself often but i still was going into work every day wow that's so brave every day and i was scared and i knew that they weren't gonna protect me so i had to keep working with my lawyer and i kept it quiet so from july i came out open with my story in october because they came to me in August and I said, oh, no, we're fighting this, right? They said, okay, Masuma, we'll give you two options. Either you solve this informally or formally. And I said, okay, let's hear the options. Informally is you're going to take this training from a white guy in Toronto and he's going to tell you and teach you how to talk about racism in a more beneficial way. What does that even mean? Right. I don't know. What does that Well, even obviously, mean? I didn't take the deal, yo. I'm not. <laughs> I didn't take it. It wasn't a deal to me, because even in that, I they said, and you have to write uh, uh, this long apology and explanation of your actions. What? I said no. Yeah. <laughs> I said no. Take me to Senate. Mm-hmm. Take me. Take no. 
take me there. I'm not, I'm not like I, I wasn't backing down. Mm. Um, and that was hard because it was my first year in. And I'm just gaining all these relationships in the administration. So everyone, you know, they're having backdoor meetings about me. Mm. And people are telling me. <laughs> so that was wild. And I said no. And then October happened and they still hadn't set a date. They kept putting off a date for the discipline. And I had been off the committee for so long. And I, you know, students relied on me in that committee because I was a student voice and I was a racialized student voice. So I understood more things that were happening to students. If it's academic integrity and there's language barriers, I have more room for that as opposed to some white faculty member who's going to think that this student's just cheating. When Mm. I know that that student's just hustling, trying to get by, maybe it's not the best, they didn't do the right thing, but they didn't know any better, right? Mm-hmm. Citation rules are different. If you go from back home to here, it looks different. Back home, anything your prof says, you write exactly that. You never differ from what your prof says. But here, you have to cite everything and write exactly why you came to that. It's a very different kind of system, right? Mm-hmm. In that way. And so we were like, I guess it's time. So October 20th, we took the case public and... Before that, uh, you know, we had kind of been smart. So the back to school edition of the coast, I was the front cover of the of that edition in 2017. I didn't know that I was going to be the front cover. I just thought it was a story and that my lawyer was like, let's do this story Mm -hmm. so that people know kind of know what's going on with you and what happened with you this summer, Mm -hmm. but not what's happening behind closed doors so that people would be aware and be like, oh, yeah, remember that thing. Mm -hmm. Um. And so we did that, and that's where that picture with me with the red smoke came from. I didn't know I was going to be on the cover, though, but that's okay. So I I was on the cover, and so all the students who were coming into school that year saw my face on the cover. That newspaper was everywhere, right? So I, I keep, I'm still getting more harassment, more, right? And then I come out publicly. Hmm. And, you know, it was in the, uh, uh, Huffington Post and Globe and Mail, Al Jazeera, uh, BuzzFeed, um, all these like CBC, all these every every news outlet, and you know the Canadian press from from here to all over. It I felt very all over the place, and mm-hmm. you know it was weird to be in an AJ Plus video like an Al Jazeera Plus video. I was like, whoa, this is international now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like they they mess with the wrong student, you know? <laughs> right? And so the 20th, we come out, and by the 25th, you know, the 20th was a Friday. And then on that Monday, they brought, it was Senate, like the actual big Senate meeting with all the faculty members, and we approved papers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The Dalhousie Senate. And uh, they brought me up uh, in the Senate wow. as a, as a, in front of me, I'm a member of the Senate. Mm-hmm. They had a whole section of talking about me, and I couldn't respond. And here was this admin who had been putting me through harm and not believing me when I said, what does it mean? This dude has done this, and I'm getting uh, uh, death threats. And in that first meeting with my lawyer, she told me, those things don't relate. What? They have nothing to do with each other. How? No, how? That's what she told me. How? How and I have come two to witnesses that, that she told me that, right? Arig Al Sheba, she works at McMaster. Mm. And I hear that she's not doing good over there too. So, you know, beware of these people. 
I can name her because it's obvious in the media that's a fact, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not defaming her. It's the real deal. It's public. Mm-hmm. You you messed up. Um, and I think Dal put her in a bad situation as a, as a racialized woman. But still, and they liked it because then in the media, it was two racialized women coming at each other, mm. right? It wasn't a white institution. It was her. Um, but she left. She had looked. She, I found out she was looking for a job while I was in my disciplining process. By oh. August, she had applied to work somewhere else because she didn't want to be at Dow because of what they were, whatever. Mm-hmm. She still did that, right? So I come out. I start getting so many death threats and messages and calls, people leaving calls on my phone. I never answered my work phone mm. for two years. Damn. because i just couldn't mm-hmm. i i just knew if they needed me email right and then the 25th they finally they said we're not going to discipline masuma we're withdrawing our case withdrawing the case of discipline and i didn't know you know what they did they sent out a memo to all the students before they in- contacted me individually That's to crazy. let me know so everyone got it in their personal email a memo I didn't know. So I'm getting calls from people. Ah, congratulations. What are you talking about? (laughs) They dropped the case. What? They sent an email to us. What? That's crazy. They're still talking about me. Like I'm their own student. Mm. And they had no kindness. They just loved to talk about me. Mm -hmm. They couldn't talk to me to my face. And that's the thing is the Dalhousie University, my alma mater, my alumni, I'm an alumni. I paid so much money to that goddamn institution. Mm -hmm. They have no respect for me. They have no respect whatsoever. Because to this day, after they let the case go or whatever... I wrote to my lawyer and I said, I want an apology Mm -hmm. in writing. That's all. I don't want their money. I give them their money. I don't want their money. I don't want anything. I just want an apology. Mm. And in Nova Scotia, there's like, uh, I think a bylaw where you can essentially apologize and not be like legally accountable in a way. Like you don't have to pay. Mm. You can apologize and not have to like compensate for the damages. They wouldn't even apologize to me. And they have lawyers working with them, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that was very hurtful because they refused to apologize because they said in in this thing that they had done nothing wrong. Um, and that's a lie. They traumatized me. Yeah. They put me through so much crap. Mm-hmm. I had white supremacists. I still have white supremacists on my back. I still get harassed for Dalhousie. I still get messages for Dalhousie. People are still harassing me over Dalhousie. Mm. And my institution didn't back me at all. They didn't say sorry. They didn't invest in my education. They didn't say, Masuma, we're sorry. Come take a master's with us. Come do this. Masuma, um, let's, let's help you in this way. You're disabled. Let's, you know, it was only through those specific relationships I had guaranteed I had built of trust with certain individuals Mm -hmm. that helped me through but my own executive that year from 2017 to 2018 they didn't support me you know they they were talking like they supported me to people outside and then when it came to me they said they were up there it 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 was ridiculous to me because it was jealousy Mm -hmm. because I got all this media and they didn't 
And then they told me I wasn't allowed to do media anymore for the DSU. <laughs> Even though I, I created these hijab kits for Muslim women on campus, if someone had done something to their hijab like they did to me. Mm. And, you know, if it gets spat on, I was hearing reports of Muslim women, their hijabs being ripped off of them by other students. Yeah. And they were scared. And so I created this little hijab kit that you could go in, security would have it. Guess what? Dow's Equity Services sent our hijab kit back. Why? They said we don't want it because there's no reports of anyone complaining about this to the administration. You tell me what Muslim woman's going to go to a non-Muslim person and expect you that you're going to believe them. Mm. Obviously, they're going to come to me, right? So I wasn't even allowed to do media on a kit that I had helped create. Wow. Right? So for me, that was wild. And the lack of support in my executive, I ran again the, in in that term. So, you know, it happened in October 2017, mm -hmm. then March 2018 comes up and it's election season. Mm -hmm. People didn't expect me to run again. They expected <laughs> me to run away, right? Yeah. And uh, I ran again and I, people, I ran against a white supremacist. Mm. And he had been harassing me and at my debates... Uh, I, I was, I had to debate these four, uh, these three other men wow. in front of a table of white supremacists that were videotaping me on campus. Damn. I was being followed by white supremacists on campus and videotaped and, uh, in our elections that year, the police had to get involved. And this is why I was talking about the police mm -hmm. because one of the white supremacists at that table put up a video on YouTube saying I was part of ISIS. What? So this is the kind of, of, of Islamophobia that I face. And because my administration refused to back me, mm. refused to say, maybe we don't agree with all of my, what Masuma has done or whatever. Even that's a cop out. But, She's still our student and mm -hmm. we believe in her safety. None of that. None of that. Right. The HRP had to get involved in our elections because there was threats. I mean, they were worried that I was going to end up dead, you know, and if someone pointed a sort of accusation of, you know, you that's what they hope would happen. I'm guessing. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Right. In that way. So I. I, I ended up winning that election. <laughs> they were like, what? And, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was tough, mm. you know? And in the first count, I won by over a hundred and some other, in the, the way that they do it, I won by over a hundred and some odd votes. And honestly, those were the international students. Um, and I will forever be indebted for the, the ways that I had so much love for it from international students and for international students and the way that they protected me because mm. they knew they knew that I was there for them uh, based off of the relationships I had built. Mm -hmm. And that's where General Khan came from. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's the general. We're going to yo vote for the general. <laughs> that's what it was, you know, and, you know, like brown brown folks were out there making deals like, yo. If you vote for this brown po person, I'll vote for this brown person. Okay, deal, deal, deal. Like, they were out here doing this stuff. I had no idea that that was going on because I was busy. I had to follow rules. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that they were out here like w organizing together and being like, oh, you vote for this person? Make sure you vote for this person. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that they were doing to make sure I was there. Mm -hmm. So I won in the first count. I won in the second count. I bodied them in the second count and the third count. And then it was like... 
I had like 2,000 votes for me. Wow. So I had the I had the most votes of confidence that year for any executive. Damn. And I had gone through so much tumultuous like situations in the DSU. Mm-hmm. And that for me, that was just my my goal that year was to get the sexualized violence policy. And we at Dow, they have the best rated sexualized violence policy in the country. Uh, and that's something I had been working on. I had been working on so many different things that I wanted to finish off. And, you know, I did that. And I also wanted to graduate and I graduated. But even I got reelected. And so I continued my term. I didn't have to do no transition. I stay, I, you know, I was still <laughs> working. I knew everything. I stayed in my office, no moving. I was good, you know. Yeah. Uh, the students knew, you know, it was happy. Um and uh and i did more work but then come september i get um emails from a white supremacist who cc's justin trudeau Mm -hmm. and sends me videos of white supremacists from south africa and then i'm involved in a national security issue what right so I traveled a lot from my job, conferences, liaising with the government. That was my role. I had I was in charge of a lot of government and advocacy, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they didn't like me at the table because I was too blunt, and I told them <laughs> I told them just how it was, you know. But I think people also respect that mm-hmm. in a way too. Eventually, eventually they do. <laughs> um, but I was doing all that, and then. Uh, I started uh, having issues traveling. I couldn't check into my flights in Canada. Wow. So I found out that I'm on some list in Canada where I can't actually fly. Like, I can't check in to my flights. I have to, like, online or at the chaos. I have to go to To an actual person. They call a number. They talk to them. On my boarding pass, it has, like, a SEQ. Do they think I'm stupid? I know what security, <laughs> you know, an acronym for that anyways. But uh, for for them, like I they definitely like track me. Um, and the thing that threw me off was till now. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, I stopped traveling as much because of the amount of anxiety I would get. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why one of the ladies said, oh, Miss um, Khan, you're restricted you are on a restricted list and they're actually not supposed to tell you that. Mm. So this woman at WestJet could have gotten fired, but she told me you're restricted. You're on some list that the Canadian government creates and you are going to have to talk to them about it. So the ironic part was I was, the flight was booked by the Canadian government (laughs) for me to go meet them for a, for a thing that they needed me to do so that they could consult with me on sexualized violence policies on campus. Mm. So, (laughs) <laughs> that's crazy i i would have to show up hours before my flights to be able to make it on mm. time and i would get checked before i would go into security and then checked in security you know i'm always like taken aside it's fine i've been used to it yeah randomly selected right um but you know apparently you have to write to to the minister of public safety to get off the list because the Canadian government circulates a list. And they were trying to tell me, Miss Khan, someone has the same name as you but a different birthday. Well, I'm sorry if they have a different birthday than me, then it shouldn't even come up. Mm-hmm. Because we have totally different birthdays. Mm-hmm. So there's no actual explanation. And luckily there was a, a, a Muslim man who was working at the 
at the airport in Halifax and I grew up with him. So I said, yo, bro, what's going on? He was like, dude, you're on a list. <laughs> you're on a list. And I think it was after that security threat. Mm. Um, and all the things around Dal, I, I'm on like white supremacist websites in the States, uh, like lots of wild things. If you search my name, you have so many Reddit threads, you cannot believe. Um, but yeah, that's been my experience. And then I graduated, uh, you know, I survived. I, you know, didn't go insane. Mm-hmm. I definitely had breakdowns, but I, I managed with support of of a few folks and you know obviously my mom you know she's a very like strong afghan woman she's like you just you keep going you run (laughs) you keep going you keep doing it you're a mountain Mm. you know you gotta stand there strong you just you keep going and she she just really tried to remind me of who i was and where i came from because my mom's family was involved in kicking the British out of Afghanistan. Mm. So my mom's uh, great-great-grandfather, he's the victor of my wand. He, he like, won the Second Anglo-Afghan War and kicked the British out. Wow. Um, and then they, they, uh, they displaced my entire family and, and put us into British imprisonment across South Asia. So in what is now Pakistan and uh british india so my mom was encouraging me like you know do you come from a long legacy of this kind of work like Mm -hmm. don't forget like they took us away from our land but like even then they can't take that away from us like people are scared no one could conquer afghanistan because of who we are Mm -hmm. because we don't we'd rather fight with one another we'll take the bloodshed we'll take all that but we'll never take a master over us Mm -hmm. and that's an important saying in my in my culture so um so she she really helped me and i graduated and i was so happy when i was done and uh you know then the new executive came in and then one administrator (laughs) messaged me one day and said Masuma, I was wrong about you. <laughs> I said, what? He said, I, because he came in a year, like, in 2018. So when I got that death threat or whatever in Trudeau that September, he came in, he started. And he didn't understand why I was so angry. Mm-hmm with the institution why when i'd speak at senate i'd be like no 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 this you're doing wrong here there's a gap here there's a i used to come ready mm-hmm. it, senate was fun for me because it was just a way to <laughs> rip them apart right and show them that i'm like you know you can have your dow legal whatever but i'm a student and i can read your policies too right mm-hmm. i can see the gaps in the vague language and why it needs to be the way it is and he didn't understand. And then after, I guess, the new executive came in and they created a, a big issue. They they just, yeah, they, for them, he said, I thought that you were, you were the extreme. I mm. thought that you, um, you, you know, you were a lot. But what I'm seeing now is at least you, you fought for students and that's why you held your ground. And when there was moments where we could work together, you would do it. But if we were doing something wrong, you would tell us mm. and you wouldn't back down. And now I'm seeing an executive that doesn't want to be accountable to students, doesn't want to work with us and is just like 
doing whatever they feel is best, right? And violating a lot of students' like uh, agency, sovereignty, or like even just like you know rights as a union member. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so when I saw that happening, and I saw like the student staff uh, at the DSU having a hard time because of the new executive and the Greywood was closed for the first time and it kept closing. They were messing up with the alcohol folks and they were refusing to follow the policies. All these, they fired two full-time staff that one was on his way to retirement. The other had been working there for 15 years. And so for me, I was like, okay, time to unionize the part-time staff. I don't even work here. I don't even work here. I don't, nothing. Mm -hmm. But my staff at the DSU, they saw me still coming in, trying to protect those students when I wasn't even working there. And they were like, Masuma, you were a good one. You are a good (laughs) one. You still care about us. Why? Wow. You know? And it's because I I actually grew up in the Dow Student Union building. I used to go to Juma's there. They have a Friday prayer. And ever since I was a little girl, I used to go to that one. Mm. Um, and all my siblings, like, you know, my cousins went to Dal and my mom went to Dal and all those things. I grew up in that student union building. Mm-hmm. Uh, my cousin was like a society president. And when there was dance practice, I would be there, you know, sit in the corner eating French fries. But that was me <laughs> in the green room, you know, and where the Robins used to be. I remember the union in a different way. It, do- it doesn't look like how it used to in the 90s. Mm. But that's they couldn't take that away from me for sure mm-hmm. is my connection to that place and what it meant to me and they underestimated who i was for sure well that was in that was eye-opening interesting and like super informative but i'm gonna um let you go on this last question though mm-hmm. like all these jazz threats all this like despite everything you've experienced so far mm-hmm. you are still pushing on so does it still just boil down to what your mom says or is there more i think um i think it came down to you know you obviously have to take care of your mental health Mm -hmm. you have to set up supports for yourself and for me i i tried therapy i tried at dowel and i it wasn't it was too white for me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I needed community. I needed, for me, my, I need to vent. I need to write. I need to, so that's where my art practice comes from, um, is writing my feelings out. Um, and obviously, too, like, the reality is, is I have complex PTSD from what Dal did to me. Uh, there's no lie. I can't, I can't lie about that. I am a very traumatized person based off of all that. It's very hard for me when memories come up and, you know, October every October 20th I've been asking Dalhousie please apologize to me mm. I'm 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 even nicely asking them for an apology and I'm gonna do it again it's been three years right still no apology mm. so it takes a toll on you and obviously it's not it's not easy all the time Israel you know it's it's tough it's hard some days are hard some days are easier some days you doubt yourself and everything about you and other days you feel empowered. Um, and I think at the end of the day, I feel everyone has those moments for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it takes taking care of yourself and that kind of discipline. But to be honest, I know that my work isn't done. You know, I know that there's more that 
I have to do in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it's important in resistance, you know, our existence is very important. And so I, for the past few years, have been trying to figure out how to sustainably organize in a way that I'm not killing myself through it because it's so hard. And when Angela Davis came to Dow and they gave her an honorary degree, I cried because they were honoring they were honoring her but they were a racist institution and to me it felt like they were disrespecting her in a way and so Kate McDonald who's a community member uh gave me space on a mic um to ask Angela Davis a question with her and I asked her how do you survive after I informed her how messed up Dal was Mm -hmm. I said how do you survive how do you continue to do this work and she said you know, um, it seems like you have the answer. Your community is standing with you. I didn't know this, but the whole auditorium like stood up, you know, and and stood up with me. Mm. And she said, the only way you continue is, you know, you continue being a thorn in their side. You continue that pressure. um, And you hold on to your community. And those things were very important to me. But even then, she didn't have the answer I was looking for because there is no answer. Mm. There is no answer. There's just trying. And so I've been trying my hardest to figure out what it looks like to care for myself. And that's where my music practice comes from. Because when I was working at Burrito Jacks, I used to be behind the counter (laughs) writing little rhymes in a book. And I used to think that, nah, you know, that's just for me, right? Mm -hmm. But expressing that and that anger is really important for me. Those feelings, those emotions that hurt, that pain, because then it's just, it's bundled inside. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm not alone in this work. There's so many other community members that face similar things. And we're, we're together in this. We protect each other. We're here for one another. It's, it's not just me. It's it's all of us. It's a collective of people. It's it's the community together. So when I think about it that way and I think about um, people always say self-care. I like to talk about community care because I feel like self-care is very capitalist. Like, yes, do the face mask and the, the nails and the spa and the whatever you want to do. Get your massage on and stuff like that. But if you're not caring for your community, you're not caring for yourself, right? And so that kind of that grounds me in that work and so you know venting at altars <laughs> shout out to altars again yeah uh is is my thing that's my safe place mm. um that's the place where i feel the safest in the city because i know that they won't let anything happen to me there you know mm. and um that's important because that's what community means right wow. yeah Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah. And I think we have to do this again when the album is out. Yeah, I'm down. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening.